Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 7 to 15 as we continue on in our series, How to Be Whole When We Feel Shattered. And so we've been looking uh, the last couple of weeks really at this idea of, and really the whole year, at this idea of wholeness. Like how do we experience this wholeness with the Lord? And so at the beginning of the year, we started by realizing that wholeness happens when we look at Jesus Christ, when we understand who he is and allow that to change us. And then we kind of looked at how do we become a whole church? And that happens when we focus as a church on the good news of Jesus Christ, allowing that to be our anchor rather than our own glory or our own desires. And then we went throughout the summer really looking at how do we worship the Lord uh, as he should be center in our lives. And now this fall, we're really taking a look at, at uh, about 12 different markers, if you will, that will help us to understand what it looks like for us to actually be whole. So I'm not sure uh, where you were or, or what point in life you were when social media first started, but for me, I remember being in a freshman in college, and there's a thing called MySpace, you know, the one that everybody had to be friends with Tom, whoever Tom is. Uh, does anyone even have MySpace these days? Yeah, that, that's what I kind of, for some reason you can't delete it, so everybody still has it, but, it, but it's just kind of out there. And, and it was really this idea in which we would comment on each other's walls, we'd send each other music, and it was really this way in which we could be connected. You know, we longed for connection. I remember that year getting something uh, as well, another way to connect with others. We, uh, we got something called AIM, AOL Instant Messenger. And so I remember uh, kids, we didn't have it on our devices, we had it on a computer. And typically you had it on a computer on a desk where you couldn't move it. And so you'd be in your dorm room and, and you'd be messaging people back and forth, finding out what other people are doing in their dorm rooms. And, and that's the way you st- stayed connected to one another, is by sending messages. And it's interesting thinking now, 16, 17 years later, how much we still yearn for connection. We yearn for connection because there's a ton of apps out there uh, and, and all these different devices in which we can connect to one another, right? There's Facebook, there's Instagram, there's TikTok, uh, all these different ways in which we can stay connected. It's because there's something deep down inside of us where we want to connect with one another. We want to have this deep connection to each other. But what's interesting is that we want that connection only to a point, don't we? We want to feel like we are able to connect with anybody in our lives so long as it fits inside of this nice, neat box. That's why many of us have like a thousand friends on Facebook, of which 500 of them we haven't even talked to in the last 10 years, but we can't quite delete them because just in case. We might connect once again. You see, we love it when people look at our photos and and comment on our photos on how awesome our vacation was or or how cool that event that we got to go uh, looks, except 
So we love the connection so far as people think our lives are well and good, but the moment that begins to cross over into the reality where they know the dirt on our lives, that's when it crosses a line. So it's just kind of weird. We, we love connection, but we don't want it to cross this line to the point that people actually know who we are and actually can call out things in our life and actually know the dirt that's going on deep inside of our hearts. You see, we have this longing for connection because we are created to be connected to each other and we are created to be connected to something great. And often our ways of trying to connect to something great is using media, using our devices, when in reality we have the ability to connect to something great because we've been given Jesus Christ. Yet the reality is when it comes to God, the greatest being in the entire universe, the one who's actually inviting you and I in, the the one who has sent by his son, Jesus Christ, the greatest friend request you could ever imagine. Unfortunately, we often go to the Lord like we do Facebook or we do Instagram. We want Him to be there to tell us how wonderful we are. We want Him to be there to tell us how great we are. We want Him to be there to fix our problems and somehow be a a sort of butler for us. But we don't really want Him to know our dirt. We don't really want to connect with Him on a deeper level in an ongoing way in which we're actually doing life with the Lord. We're actually having Him transform our lives. And so what we do is we end up kind of keeping God at a distance. That's going to be important for us this morning. Because the author of Hebrews is actually going to show us that, that we really need to connect with God. And not just that we need to, he's going to actually show us how to. He's going to show us how, what prevents us from connecting with God. And then he's going to keep pressing us that for us to actually have a restored and whole life, we will have an ongoing, regular connection with God. And so he's going to lay out the framework for us to understand how we keep pressing in and have a connection with the God of the universe. And to show us that, the author of Hebrews is going to show us that continual connection with Christ, the way in which we have this connection with Christ, where we go deeper, where He knows us and we know Him and and we're walking more in the ways of Jesus Christ, the way in which we have continual connection to Christ comes from connecting to His community. Far too often in our country, we've separated the idea of connecting with God and the idea of connecting with community. In fact, an ancient church father said, you cannot have God as your father if you don't have the church as your mother. Ooh. That's what the author of Hebrews is going to say, that for us to actually be in this deep connection with the God of the universe, we've got to connect to his people and love his people as well. And so with that, would you stand with me as we read God's Word and really hear from the Lord this morning? So would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 15. Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 15. Verse 7. 
Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. This is the Word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Praise be to God. You may be seated. So again, we're, we're in this series trying to understand. I mean, we, we've, got, we've got so many things in our life going on right now, right? We've got, we've got COVID that's just seemingly ravaged the year. We've got racial tensions. And now we have the elections. And, and just in case we thought the elections were going to be uh, difficult as is, we have a Supreme Court justice that passes and just ramps everything up, right? It just feels like we are in this moment of utter chaos and we need to, as the song we just sang said, we need to find a sure and steady anchor. And so we've been on that journey looking for that and in this series we we have seen in order to find that steady anchor, we've looked at the question of what is the goal of life? And so week one, we just looked at the goal of life is that we bring glory to God in all things. That the way in which we experience joy, we experience satisfaction, is when we bring glory and honor to the God of the universe. I mean, if you've ever gone to a sporting event or or even a, a, a a concert, I don't go to those very often, but even a concert, right? When you get into it and you're excited, you actually get more excited, don't you? It just kind of feeds on itself and it brings you more joy. And so we saw week one that that we're called to bring God glory and as we do, it actually feeds us more joy. And then week two, we saw that the goal of the Christian life is not just for us to keep this glory and to keep this joy, but to spread it across the entire globe so that every man, woman, and child might know the truth of Jesus Christ and might be a follower of him. And last week we looked at how do we connect with God. And we saw that we connect with God through prayer. And and Chapin just kind of walked through the Lord's Prayer as to how we actually pray. Now today we're going to look at the, the reality of the need for us to gather as a church of God. This is incredibly important for us in this day and age that that we need to know why we gather and we need to have a heart, we need to have a heart that is focused on us gathering together as the saints of God. Because Satan wants to do anything he can to kind of separate us from one another. 
So the author of Hebrews in this passage is going to show us really the, the reason that we uh, keep pressing in and gather together. And so let's go ahead and dive in and, and take a look at this. And before we actually look at why we gather, we actually need to understand why we disconnect or why we don't gather with God and with his people. We've got to understand the barriers, if you will, that prevent us from connecting with God. And the author of Hebrews reflects on that. Look at verses 7 to 9. He starts with the word, therefore. So right off the bat, if anytime you hear or see the word, therefore, you have to think, what is it there for? So you've got to point back to the passage right before. What we see right before is that the author of Hebrews is talking about Moses. Remember who Moses was? The dude that God came to in a burning bush and said, hey, you're going to go to the most powerful man in the entire world. And you're going to demand that he lets his slaves, my people, go freely. So Moses kind of goes back and forth with God and finally goes to uh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And through a series of signs and plagues, uh, they are released from slavery after 400 years. So think about that. Moses goes to the most powerful man in the world and proclaims, let God's people go. Pretty faithful guy, isn't he? And yet notice... Right before the passage, uh, we see that the author of Hebrews says that Moses was faithful as a servant, but Jesus was faithful as a son. He was even more faithful. And because he was, we're called to trust in that son when he leads us through life. Does anyone remember what happened to Moses and the people of God after he led them out of slavery? I mean, just just think about this. 400 years of intense, back-breaking slavery. No day off whatsoever. And when they started complaining, they kind of added to the restrictions. And think about where this was. It was was in Egypt. I mean, it's hot there. It's a desert for a reason. So this is incredible labor, and through, uh, through Moses, God uh, raised up this ragtag group of people and rescued them out of the most powerful nation, away from the most powerful army, and he brought them through the Red Sea, and as the Israelites reach the other side of the sea and the Egyptians enter, the sea swallows up the army and takes them out. So, so just imagine, you're here, and they're there. You have seen God work in mighty ways. You've seen the outstretched arm of God do amazing things in your life. And yet what happens? Let's keep reading. Verse 7 says that the Holy Spirit, what is about to be mentioned, what is about to be uh, uh, written here, actually comes from Psalm 95 and is a recollection of a couple of stories brought together from the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers. And the author of Hebrews says that is God speaking, that all of Scripture is the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you and I. Notice what he says. 
today if you hear his voice. If you hear God's voice. I I don't know of any other more deeper connection that you can have with the God of the universe than hearing his voice. The God of the universe is, is, is speaking to them. And again, we hear his voice through the word, through the Bible. And what does he talk about? He says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test. Now, what in the world is he talking about here? What, what is he trying to get us to see? Well, if you go back to Psalm 95, what you'll read there is that the people of God tested God at two places, at Meribah and at Massa. And so the story there you can actually find it in Exodus 17 in verses 1 to 7. And it goes something like this, where the Israelites have been rescued and they're out in the desert. They've just seen God do the most spectacular rescue story you could ever imagine. And they're in their wilderness and they're wandering and they start to get a little parched. It starts to get a little thirsty. And immediately they start complaining. Immediately they start whining and complaining about why did you bring us here? Why, God, are you not providing for us? Why don't I have what I want? Why am I thirsty right now? So I'm not sure how it is in your home, but, but for us, it's like routine every day at about 4.30. One of my kids, and I won't name which one, but one of my kids will come to us and will say, I'm hungry. And he will act as if he is dying. Now, time out for a second. Now, do I look like I go without food? I don't. So in the five years that we've had our kids, they've never missed a meal ever. And for some reason, every day, on repeat, we have the same story. I'm hungry, and this kid of mine believes that he is going to whittle away if he doesn't get food in the next 29 seconds. They're like, just just hold on. 30 minutes, we'll have dinner. And guess what he does in that moment? Just 30 more minutes and dinner will be on the table. That's all you got to do. He throws himself down on the floor and flails and screams as if he's never going to see another speck of bread in his entire life. What's he doing in that moment? He's testing me. He does not believe that what I am saying is true. And so he's coming to me, testing me to actually show that I have me prove that I will provide food once again. And think about what happens when that kind of testing goes on. The last thing I want to do is cuddle with him at that moment. It breaks our relationship, right? It puts up this barrier between us where there, there, there begins to be some animosity and there begins to be a break in the relationship. That's exactly what the Israelite, the ancient people of God are doing with God. They're not getting their way and so they're throwing a fit and it begins to break their relationship with the Lord. 
They know what God can do. I mean, they've seen him work in mighty ways. I mean, I have never gone to the Susquehanna River and just seen it part and then walked through and my friends got swallowed up in the river, right? They've seen that happen. Yet they still don't believe that God is working because what they're doing is instead of focusing on what they've seen God do, they're focusing on the barrier that is before them. They're so focused on what they can see right now that they're forgetting what God has done in the past. And notice what happens. It says that their hearts became hard. That their hearts were hardened. They became angry, they became bitter, and they began to believe that they deserved something better than what they were actually getting from the Lord. And so they began to grumble and complain and shake their fist at the God of the universe, demanding something more. And if we're honest, I wonder how many of us are doing that this morning. We're shaking our fists at the God of the universe demanding that he gives us something more. That when life is uncomfortable, when we hit this barrier in life, when it just feels like everything is going against us and we're not getting the results that we want, our hearts become hardened and we begin to blame God for what he is doing and we begin to pull away from him and then we have the audacity to say, you're becoming distant from me when the reality is he never moved, we did. We know his power and yet we begin to disbelieve his power and then we wonder why our spiritual lives begin to shrivel up like a raisin because we're so focused on our situation rather than our Savior. And look at what happens in verse 10. The quotation continues by saying that God was provoked with that generation. Why? Because their hearts always go astray. Now, why in the world would he add always? I mean, that's, that seems pretty hard language. At least in counseling, one of the things I've been taught was that you don't say absolute words like always or never in any relationship you have. So why always? Because that's not the only time that they've hardened their hearts against the Lord. You see, if you jump back to Numbers 14, you will read that the people of God are on the edge of the promised land, the very land in which God has promised that, that we, I will give to you and you will have this amazing relationship in which I will bless you. And they're on the edge of the promised land about to go in and they send 12 spies and 10 of them come back and they're like, uh-uh, we're not doing that. They're too big. We, can't, we, we just can't win. We're not going forward. And two of them said, no, God is powerful. We can take this. We can do this because God, the one who created all things, is on our side. And unfortunately, the the people listened to the majority of the spies rather than the two. And so for 40 years, God led them to wander in the wilderness until all of them died off but those two. And oftentimes we wonder why we're in the wilderness I wonder if it's because we've hardened our hearts to the Lord. We've hardened our hearts to the steps of faith that God wants us to take. He's 
we've hardened our hearts towards the direction that God is desiring of us. And why does this happen? Look at the end of verse 10. The author of Hebrews says that this happens because they've not known God's ways. They're so focused on themselves, so focused on the insurmountable barrier that is before them, and they look at the power that they had, and they begin to make choices based on themselves rather than choices based on the God of the universe, and they failed to trust the Lord. Look at me for a second. How do you feel when there's no trust in a relationship? I don't know a single woman out there who'd be like, we have an amazing marriage. I mean, my husband and I, we're we're just, we're solid together. It is so amazing. It's great. I have no idea what he does all day. And I think he may be hanging out with another woman and doing some shady things. But man, we have an amazing marriage. Never going to happen. If there's no trust, the relationship is broken. There's no trust in the Lord, and now the relationship is broken. They do not believe that God's ways are the right ways, and now they're experiencing this brokenness in their relationship. It's because they're basing everything in life on themselves and what they want in that moment rather than on God. They're basing their lives on what is easy and what is comfortable rather than the road that God has laid out before them which is a road of faith and trust. A number of years ago, I was talking with a a friend of mine, and uh, he would always ask people, tell me the story of what God has done in your life to give you faith. It's always interesting, because I've asked that question a number of times, and people typically think back to that moment in which they came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, Derek, If that's all they focus on, I'm concerned. If they can't tell me something that God's doing in their life in the last two weeks, I'm worried that God's not in their life. Whoa. It's this reality that it's not just a matter of coming to faith at one point. It's a matter of trusting the Lord always and taking steps of faith in the midst of that trust rather than walking by their own power. And notice what they were doing in their relationship with the Lord. What they were treating the Lord as was someone who gives things to them rather than someone who they give back and someone who they bless in return. And so they were not willing to listen to the Lord as a result. They're treating him as a butler, someone that serves them on their terms. So how does this play out for us? For honest, this plays out when we, when God asks us to do things, when God asks us to obey his word, when God tells us the steps of faith that we should take, and then we make all sorts of excuses on why we shouldn't take those steps of faith. We start looking at what we can do rather than trusting in what God can do. Or this plays out when we constantly choose the easy and the comfortable road and we we downshift into what is easy rather than what is the difficult way. But Jesus says, wide is the gate. Wide is the way. And it's easy, but it leads to hell. 
The road is hard and the gate is narrow, but it leads to life. So we need to be a people who connect with the Lord because if we don't, look at verse 11. It says that they, God swore in His wrath that they shall not enter His rest. And so often we disconnect from the Lord because we're trusting in ourselves and so we never experience the rest that God can give us. I wonder how many of us this morning are, are struggling with that rest, just feel weary, feel tired. And it's because we're trusting in ourselves, we're not trusting in the Lord. But fortunately, the author of Hebrews helps us to know how we can connect with the Lord and actually how we even stay connected to the Lord. So let's look at that now, how we stay connected to God. I realize that the author of Hebrews is, is assuming something, so, so I'm going to assume with him, and then I'm going to go back and fill in the void, but he's assuming that since he's speaking to the church, that the majority of the people in the church have faith in God. So now he's going to talk about how we stay connected to the Lord, but I realize that not everybody does have faith in God, so, so I will fill in the void of how we connect with God in the first place. But let's continue with what the Uh, author of Hebrews says. And look at what he says starting in verse 12. He says that we need to respond differently. And the way that we need to respond differently is that we need to examine deeply. Notice the words that he uses. He says, take care. This isn't like you hanging out with your friend and saying, hey, take care, buddy. I'll see you tomorrow. This is wake up. Heed the warning. Watch out. Listen to what I'm about to say. Check your heart here. Take care. Watch out. He says, what do we take care of? Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. He's saying, watch out lest evil creep into your heart and it overtake your heart and your life. And notice who he's talking to here. He says brothers. People who seem to be followers of Jesus Christ. And he's saying watch out. Now, now help me here for a second. Do, does anybody have right next to that phrase, does anybody have right there an asterisk in their Bible? And if you do, do you have something at the bottom that states your name as to why you don't actually need to check your heart? Nobody, right? There is nobody who is outside of this command that the author of Hebrews is telling us. He's saying that we need to examine our hearts and we need to constantly be checking our hearts regularly, on repeat, just checking what is going on inside to see if we're wandering towards or wandering from the Lord. And why? Because if we don't, we're going to have an unbelieving heart and we're going to fall away from God. Church, I have known people, if, if you don't think this is serious, I have known people who have sung songs of praise to God with me. I've known people who I've read the Bible with, people who I have done life and shared issues of my life 
with people who have agreed that our lives need to be based on the Bible and based on Jesus Christ, who are no longer friends of mine because they love their sin more than they love Jesus Christ. And so if we don't want to take this seriously, if we don't want to see this as the command of God to check our hearts, I'm concerned for us that we're going to wander and we're going to have an evil serious here. If we don't, we could fall away from the living God and how tragic that is. And the author says, hey, watch out. Check your life. Check your heart. So do you make it a regular habit? Do you make it a regular habit in your life to, to be checking your heart, to be, to be thinking, what are the things that are creeping in that are robbing me of affection for God? Do you make that a regular habit? Checking yourself. Where are those places that I'm making a slow and steady shift away from the Lord and you don't realize it? But how do we do this? Well, verse 13 says that we need to be in community. We need to exhort one another every day. It's this idea of encourage, but even more so, it's a warning and it's a reproof. It's a pressing towards the truth. It's not just a, hey buddy, keep going. It's a, hey, come here, come here. We need, we need to chat. Can you help me understand why you're responding that way? Can you help me understand why you're acting that way? And, and for some of us who are more hard-headed, you know, some of us are like that. It's a, come here. You're acting like a fool. Stop. Because church, what's the alternative? The alternative is hell. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, we need to press in together. We need people in our lives. And notice how often this happens. He says, every single day. Day. We need to have the kind of community where we know each other well enough and where we have given each other almost like a blank check to say, if you see my life wandering from the ways of God, would you come and lovingly call that out? Come and lovingly point me back to Jesus Christ. Would you encourage me? Would you exhort me back to Jesus Christ? Because I don't want to walk away from him. So how do we do that? That's what we're trying to do in our missional communities. I'm hoping over time that we grow so close together in our missional communities. There's always going to be people in and out, but that the core of us are growing closer together, that we know each other, and that we love each other well enough that we can say, hey, I think you're in sin here. Can we talk about that? I'm concerned. Do you see missional community that way? Do you have people in the missional community that you can pull aside and say, hey, can, can you keep a watch on me? Can you, can you lovingly help me to follow the ways of God? Because the author of Hebrews says that's the way in which we stay connected to the Lord. If we don't have that kind of person, we're going we're gonna to wander and we're going to think things are right. You know, uh, the Proverbs say that there's a way that seems right to a man but in the end leads to death. 
That's what's going to happen if we don't have people like that in our lives. And so this can't be some just cute add-on to our life, but this has got to be something where we're regularly engaging each other, regularly caring for each other, and pressing each other towards the Lord. And it matters because look at verse 14. We've been saying this all morning, but look at verse 14. The author says that, that we need to endure completely. That we do this so those of us who have come to faith in Christ would actually hold on to our confidence until the end. The author of Hebrews will actually show us in chapters 5 and 6 that there are people who seem like they know Jesus Christ who in the end do not hold firm and prove they never knew Jesus to begin with. Those of us who hold firm to the end by the Lord's power have salvation. The author of Hebrews says that the way in which we have that is we're in community with one another. I realize that there's still a question that remains for us, and that question is how do we even connect to God in the first place? Maybe you're looking at your life and you're saying, okay, I've never connected with God, or, or I'm just in a wrestling season where it just feels like I'm disconnecting and I can feel my heart to wander from God. So how do we connect with Him in the first place? Let's turn and look at that now. And to begin with, we have to run to one who didn't fail. Look back at verses 8 to 11. That's our story, isn't it? That is your story and that, that's my story. Of hard hearts. We go through difficult seasons in life and we feel like we're in this wilderness. So we put God to the test and we rebel against Him to the point that it actually provokes His anger. And so the reality is that we, we can't connect with God. We need someone else who can connect us back to God. In Hebrew, the book of Hebrews would actually put it this way, that we need someone who can act as an intercessor or really as a high priest who brings us to God as the go-between us and God. And Hebrews shows us there that at the end of chapter 4. So turn with me there at the end of chapter 4. At the end of chapter 4, starting in verse 11, uh, the author of Hebrews shows us that we are called to strive to enter that rest. Well, why? Because so that none of us will fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then jump down to verse 14. It says that since we have a great high priest, again, someone who would offer sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of us in order to make us right with God. It says, since we have a great high priest. Well, what is true about every single priest that you read about in the Old Testament? Every single priest had to offer sacrifices for all the people and for themselves. And they had to offer sacrifices year after year after year after year. And so we need to realize that they, their sacrifices are not the final and ultimate solution. And so we need another one who can offer sacrifice for us for a final and ultimate solution that would actually bring us back to God. And let's keep reading. It says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. 
Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet despite sin. We need a high priest who knows us, who knows our life, who has been tempted just like us. And in the very place when you and I failed, who obeyed the Father completely and who stood His ground and was confident in the ways of God. And that one is Jesus Christ. Do you remember the story of Jesus' baptism in in Matthew 3? And, And immediately we see that the Spirit in Matthew 4 leads Jesus into the wilderness. The very place the people of God disobeyed God and the very place you and I, metaphorically speaking, disobey God. And after 40 days of fasting, we read how Satan comes to Jesus and he starts to say, put God to the test. And how does Jesus respond in that moment? He holds fast to the Father. He holds fast to the Word of God. He actually recites the Word of God to Satan to the very, and he does that to the very end of his life to the point that at the apex of his life, we actually see Jesus in another wilderness in the Garden of Gethsemane on the very night in which a band of hooligans would come and arrest him so he would be tried and crucified. That very night, he is on his knees praying, asking the Father, knowing that the Father's wrath will be poured out on him. He is pleading, Father, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, not as I want, but as you want. Do you see that? Not as I want, but as you want. I mean, talk about obedience. The one who was tempted to preserve his own life, and yet he did not sin. And the author of Hebrews is now saying, because Jesus did not sin, he can be our high priest who brings us back to the Father. And we can have this confidence where we can enter in and draw near to the throne of grace, where we can be around the throne of God fully and forever and we can come boldly he says we can come boldly with no shame no fear no trepidation we can fully lay ourselves on the feet at the feet of Jesus and come to the one who did not fail and notice what we will receive we will receive grace and mercy in the time of need Church, you and I can connect with God the Father, the God of the universe, because there was one in the wilderness who fully and forever connected with his Father, who never failed, who never tested, who paved the way so that your sin and my sin might be uh, paid for and that we might be forgiven so that we might actually enter into the presence of God. And then on top of it, we have a high priest who doesn't just die and give us the right to enter in, but actually calls us to himself. You get that? It's not just that he died and he said, just 
sneak in the back door, you're annoying. He died, and then he says, come. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, he says, come to me, all who are weary. Come to me, all who are heavy burdened. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Isn't that what the book of Hebrews has been saying all along? We long for rest. We long for this deep connection. We long for wholeness. We long for the the greatest being in the entire world to finally and fully accept us and put us at ease. And all of our ways push us away from that rest unless we just go to Jesus and run to the one who says, Take my burden, take my yoke. Because it is light and it is easy. So church, do you, do you want to connect with God? Do you recognize the need for your weary soul? I mean, I, I don't know about you, I, I'm exhausted over 2020. And I'm afraid to actually say I'm looking forward to 2021 because I don't think it's going to be better. Do you want connection? Do you want rest? Do you want wholeness? Jesus says that it only happens when we run to Him and experience rest, and we do so, and we're able to stay connected with Him when we stay connected to His bride, the church. So we gather every week. So we gather in missional community throughout the week. It's because our hearts will wander and never find rest. So do you want rest? Run to Christ and run to his people. It's as simple as that. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and Lord, I just know in my own wicked heart how often I want to live life in my own power. God, how, how many times, even this morning, I'm thinking about my day, thinking about preaching, thinking about what I have next, and how often I'm just operating in my own power and not in your power, not pressing in, not, not shooting a quick text to friends and say, hey, would, would you pray? How often in my life I, I, just, I just think I've got to have a little bit more grunt power to, to just kind of get through each and every day. And yet you call us to come. To put down our burdens, to put down our weariness, to put down all the ways in which we try to stay connected and, and, and have this sense of acceptance to just put all of that down and understand that through Jesus, through your death and through your resurrection, we have all connection that we need. We have all approval that we need, which then frees us to connect with your bride. And so, Father, I pray that you would remind us this week, remind us today, remind us tomorrow that that we cannot do the Christian life on our own, that we need the community of Christ. Father, would you help us to stay connected to each other, to press in, to give each other open checks, if you will, to, to call things out, that there would be no evil 
an unbelieving heart that creeps inside of us. Father, we need your help. We pray in your son's precious name. Amen.